the church doing today, huh? Come on now, come on. Man, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being out with us today. We're thrilled to have you in the house of God. And uh, it's a uh, start of school, so I never know how that's going to go the first week. But man, good to see a lot of people came out on Thursday. And uh, give it up for the online people. Everybody turn around and just hoop it up for them, okay? Wherever you're at, all right? Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking in uh, with us today. Hey, um, I love summer, man. That's my favorite time of the year. But a close second is fall, the fall season. And the reason for that is because things really start happening in the church, man. My life is built around the church. And so when fall comes, things start to go on, man. It's about to get busy, y'all, around here. And I want to tease you with just a couple things we're going to be doing uh, later in the fall so you just kind of get it well aware of that before we jump into it, and then I'm going to preach tonight. Um, in October, uh, the month of October, we're going to bring back our prayer circles around our property. Yeah, we've done that a couple times. I think the last time we, uh, I think we had like 3,000, 3,500 miles that we went around, so we're going to do that again, and uh, the stories that people told us about how God was working in their life as they prayed the perimeter of our, they were just crazy stories. So we're going to do that again in October. So get ready for that. Maybe the weather will be a little bit more conducive to us walking around and stuff like that. You skinny people, we need you, okay? Because you help with the miles, all right? And uh, uh, us fat people do the praying, you do the walking, okay? And we'll be good with that. So that's coming up in October. And then uh, check this out. On September the 20th, so what is that, a couple, I don't know, a couple months away, a few weeks away? September 20th is the 60th anniversary of our church. So on September 20th, we're going to be 60 years old, okay, on that day. So uh, 60 years ago, uh, there were 11 people. This is nuts, man. There were 11 people that met in a garage and started this church. And you're here because of those 11 people. So that's coming up on September the 20th, okay? Yeah, don't clap yet. We made it, okay? But we're going to, okay? And so we got to thinking, what can we do about that day? And here's what we chose to do. On September 20th of this year, just a few weeks later, it's on a Tuesday, we're going to have another pathway. And pathway is kind of the heart and soul of our church. Man, it is. it happens at pathway. And I won't get into it all because a lot of you know about pathway. But man, that is the thing that we do. And we thought, what better time to do another pathway than on our 60th birthday? So it's going to rock the world out, man. It's going to be off the charts, and you got to mark that down. So go find September 20, uh, Tuesday night, and mark it down, and come and be a part of that, okay? And if you've been through all the points, and you say, what do I do? Come back. Tell us you were become an unbeliever. Want to do it again, okay? <laughs> Whatever you got to do to be here on September 20th, because you're going to love that. And then one of the things that has grown to be one of our favorite things around our church Church is going to be starting in a few days, and that is that I'm about to go on my study session. And uh, <laughs> I don't know really what it says about a church that one of your favorite things is when your lead guy leaves, okay? But that's the way it is here at Eastside. And so if you're kind of new here at our church, from August 1 through Labor Day, so it's about a five-week span, the elders of our church send me away, and, uh, and I spend my time in study and planning. I kind of put together the messages that are going to come from this stage over the next year. And so we kind of design all that and put all that up. And man, I seek out the heart of God. And God, what do you want us to learn as a church? And so I, I put all that together. I usually have a couple projects uh, that I have that I'm dealing with. This year I'm gonna restart, I'm gonna start writing the second half of the Revelation study so we can get that back online again this fall. So a lot of stuff happening during those five weeks. And that starts uh, on Monday. And so we wanna let you know that before that, that happens. And this year, because you have been so awesome as a church, and I mean that during all the crazy uh, pandemic stuff we've been doing, you've been so awesome that I, I told our guys, I said, man, I wanna treat our church to some, I, I really wanna treat them during this time. And so I have, um, I've invited some really special people to come and be on this stage as our guest speakers over the next five weeks. And I know these guys on a personal level, they are the real deal, and man, you are in for a treat. 
And six weeks from now, when I come back, you're going to be bummed, okay, because of what you're going to be able to be introduced to over the next, uh, the next five weeks. I asked these guys, I said, dudes, if you had one message to preach to our church, one shot at it, and I tell them, which you do, because one and you're out, okay? So you got one shot, what it would be. They are bringing their best stuff here. And so here's the guys that you're going to be able to have a chance to hear. Next weekend, the first week, Tyler Sansom is going to be here. Uh, you can see on the, on the screen there, Tyler is all the way to my right, your left. And uh, Tyler is the lead pastor of one of our churches right up the road in Corridon, First Capital Christian Church. And I want you to hear me on this. I want you to hear this. Tyler is one of the most creative kingdom thinkers we have in the church today. When I say church, I'm talking big C. This guy is the deal. Speaks in conferences all over the country because of his mind, his creativity, what he's doing for God. And he's going to be here the next weekend. And man, that's going to be a treat. Week number two, Chris Morgan is going to be here. Chris is the director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the University of Louisville. It, it is mind-boggling how God has used Chris and his wife to minister to some of the best athletes and best coaches in the United States. And he's in our area, and you need to cancel whatever you have going on to be here for that weekend. That's going to be incredible. Week number three, Webby Oglesby is going to be here. Webby preached at the same church for 30 years up in Corridon as well, at Lincoln Hills uh, Christian Church up there. And uh, he has handed the reins off uh, to a younger man that he mentored and developed for a few years. And now Webby's there kind of being his cheerleader and, and uh, cheering him on. And there are thousands and thousands of people in this area of southern Indiana that know Webby because he's been around here forever. He is one of the most kind, heart-driven, people-loving pastors that you will ever meet. And I can't wait to hear what Webby has to say. Our fourth week, Terrence Terman is going to be here to our services. Terrence works with Southeast Christian Church, and he's on their team where they right now are trying to figure out how to plant a church in an area of Louisville where we're really struggling, and it's in the Highlands area. There's just not a lot of good kingdom influence right there. And Terrence is on that team and it's going to be a part of that. And if you get a chance to meet him, if you're here that weekend, you need to be here, go up to him and you will go, whoa, because he had a real shot at football. He, he's an incredible athlete, giant of a human being. And uh, God had some other plans, had an injury and never quite got out. Of it. And I, I'm glad that happened because God called him to ministry. And this guy has a passion to preach. If you come on Thursday night, bring a snack because you're going to be here for a while. Terrence got a lot to say. And we're going to end with Tom Franklin. I love Tom Franklin. I love this guy. Uh, Tom has been in ministry for 50 years. And there's a lot of people in this church that you know Tom. He spent some time at Northside Christian Church up in New Albany, a wonderful man. He is off the charts encourager. Uh, if you're feeling bummed and depressed, I want you to come that weekend because you're going to walk out on a cloud, man. He's that kind of a guy, a rah-rah, encouraging people. He's a fellow golfer friend of mine, so you know he's up there among God's favorite people. So yeah, that, that's going on for Tom. Now, I don't know what y'all are planning for the next five weeks. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your schedule. But if you're not here, dude, you ain't got both oars in the water. This is incredible stuff that we get to have here in our church and through the generosity of our elders to release those funds, to bring these guys in, and to get those guys to say, would you quit what you're doing for a weekend and would you give it to us? This is a God thing and you're going to be in a tree. So now before all that starts, okay, that's all coming up, but before all that starts, I got another message to preach uh, this weekend right here. And Aquila told me this week when I came back from vacation, he said, dude, here's the service. He showed it because you got 35 minutes. I said, dude, it's my last weekend. I'm going to take about two and a half hours. So I won't take that long, but I got some stuff to say from my heart because we're going to finish our meal today that we've been eating on, okay? We're going to finish this thing. We're going to take one last little bite of an elephant. And if you're going, what are you even talking about? That means you ain't been here for a while, bro. 
What that is, is this dissection that we have been doing with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It is such a significant part of God's word. We've called it elephant impact, man, elephant size. And the only way you can really get it is just kind of take a bite at a time to be able to see the significance that God has. So we've been in it for a number of weeks, and today we're gonna end this thing. We're gonna take the last bite of it. And so we've done it every week, and we'll do it again. Let's go ahead and look at the whole verse again, these two verses. Let's check them out. Therefore, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I love that phrase. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he goes on. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he caps it off with this. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so when he started on the first week, I told you, I said, this is a giant, giant impacting passage of Scripture you've probably read. And so we've been taking little bites of it. And today we've got one last bite. And it's this phrase that we're going to play around with. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now this is what we're going to talk about here. And you're going to find out as I teach this, you're going to find out that we're going to kind of beat around the bush to get to this passage. We're not even going to get there for a while. And when we get there, you'll know, oh, that's why we did that. So we're going to beat around the bush to get to this point. This is what we're talking about in this service. Now, before we do that, I want to address something. I want to deal with something and go ahead and get it out here because it has come to my attention a little bit that uh, we've been having some um, we've been having some whining going on around here the last couple weeks and I want to address it some whining with a couple staff members of ours and I kind of want to call them out on it okay so you okay with that huh? Uh, people say, you know, you deal with them things privately. I say, baloney, let's put it on the table and deal with it, okay? So Aquila Bach preached for us a couple weeks ago, our worship pastor, great singer, okay? Looks like he had to be in a magazine. You know what I'm talking about, cries like a girl every once in a while. So we love this guy, and uh, we said, here's what you want to preach on. And so we gave him, this was the bite of the passage. If you're here, you saw it. This is your spiritual act of worship. And within two, three minutes, he gets up here and whines. David only gave me seven words to preach on. Seven words. He complained about that. He told me later on his manuscript was 2,600 words. So we went from seven to 2,600. You see why I didn't give him the whole verse? Huh? <laughs> Y'all still be here, okay? Then the next week, we had more whining going on. Luke Wanger, our, our student pastor, okay, he's up here. And I'm listening to it. I watched it on video. Okay, I was online service. And Luke gets up here, and he starts whining. We gave him this passage. We say, this week's passage. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Preach on that, Luke. Knock it out. I believe in you. You can do it, baby. He gets up here, and he starts whining. Dave only gave me five words to preach on. Now, I'm not a math teacher. <laughs> but would you count with me? Let's do this. One, two, I don't hear you. Come on now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So if you have high school kids, <laughs> I want you to get them in our ministry, man. They're going to love Jesus. They're going to find out who Jesus is. They're going to grow up in Jesus, and they're going to graduate with Jesus as the Lord of their life. But dude, ain't going to learn how to count in our high school ministry. It ain't going to happen. Actually, those two guys did incredible with the Word of God, and I was so proud of them. I was so, so proud of them. So proud of those guys. I want you to hear this. The church of the next generation of leaders is in good shape. It's in good shape here. Now, I've got to kind of carry on that momentum, okay? And that's what I come into this weekend is, is that I saw what these guys did with the word of God and took bites of this powerful passage. And now, and now here, 
I gotta keep that going to close the, the deal on this text. And so here again is the last bite. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I got eight words. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, eight words, okay? And I want you to listen to this very carefully. The last phrase of the text right here is the dessert. It is the dessert of the meal. The meal will get its greatest impact with the power of the dessert. My wife and I had some out-of-town friends recommend a restaurant to us, and they said, you gotta go to this place, man. It's unbelievable. The dessert is crazy. And they described this dessert. You gotta go, and you gotta taste that dessert. And so they have that restaurant in their town, and we have that restaurant in our town too. And, and I think we've only been there one time in 30 years. We just don't go because it's sinfully expensive. But I told my wife, I said, hey, it's Valentine's Day. Let's go ahead and dig into the kids' inheritance and let's go, you know, have, have a good night. And so we show up and the meal was great, man. Uh, the waiter was fantastic. And so when it all gets over with, the waiter comes over and says, hey, y'all want dessert? I said, do we want dessert? Dude, that's why we're here, man. And we said, we want some of that dessert. And we named it. And he said, oh, we serve that in um, that restaurant in that town. We, we don't serve that here. I said, what? <laughs> no, nah, that's not something we do here. What? And the power and luster of the meal tanked because the dessert failed. And Paul doesn't do that. Paul comes at the close of this text and with a shiny saucer and one of those new fancy spoons for the dessert, he lays it right before you. This is what will cap it all off. The whole concept of transforming by the renewing of your mind. Now, I think to get the full taste of the dessert, it helps to relive the meal a little bit. So this is where we're going to kind of start working our way around the bush to get to the dessert. And I want you to kind of watch me because I'm going to walk through this. And I think this is really super important in understanding the text. And so if you were here uh, on the first weekend when we started talking about this, we kind of presented the gist in our first bite of this text, kind of the gist of the text, and it starts out with this idea, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And I can't re-preach that whole thing. I can't do that. But if you were here, you'll remember the power of it. If you weren't, this will get you on the same page about that. Is But the, the gist of starting that text in that way was to suggest that Christian people, and I want you to listen, if you're connected to Jesus, that Christian people live our lives as a response to the grace and mercy that God has given us. That we don't live our lives in order to get grace and mercy. We don't live our lives so that God will go, man, you got it happening. You're doing great. I'm going to be merciful. That's not why we do it. And some of y'all live your life that way. You try to go around impressing God, and you never do a very good job with it. None of us do. And so the whole gist of this starting of the passage comes down to this. This is kind of the main point, is we respond with gratitude over the grace so because he's been merciful, because he's been graceful, because he's given forgiveness, because of all that, now we live our life as a life of tribute, of gratitude for what he's already done for us. We don't try to earn it. We already got it. We just want to live in a way that he goes, 
you, you, you get it, man, don't you, that you're, you're grateful for what I've done for you. So that was the start of the whole, the whole thing. We spent a whole week on that. Now watch this. The rest of the meal, the rest of the whole passage describes how that kind of a life looks like. And so if you're connected to Jesus and you're living your life as a gratitude statement to Jesus. Man, I'm so grateful for what he's done for me. I'm just gonna live my life as a way to say thank you for all that you've done. The rest of the text says, okay, here's what that looks like. And so every week when you came in here, we, we pulled a part of that out there. We took a bite of it and we said, here's what it looks like. And so on the first week, we talked about this idea. Let's put it up there. And, and you'll remember the phrase where he said, holy and pleasing to God. So if you are in full gratitude for God, you're gonna live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And we described it that week. What that means is that we're different. Remember the word holy? Remember the golf balls? Two white golf balls and one yellow golf ball? Yellow golf ball is holy, looks different than the rest. And so if I'm living my life that is completely different from the rest of the world, I just stand out, man, I'm not like them. I'm not like them at all. I'm like him, okay? I'm like him. That's what it means to be holy and different. And so that's what we talked about that, that second week. Then we moved into the next week, and that's where Aquila uh, blessed us with his seven words. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so if you're living a life of gratitude because of the mercy of God, then spiritual worship, real worship, worship the kind that God looks at, that's what shows up. And God says, hey, you're living your life in gratitude, and God says, that's what worship is. Now, I sat and um, I told, I told uh, Aquila, I said, we watched that on a great big screen while our family was on a beach vacation somewhere. There were 14 of us in the house, and uh, we're watching that. And I said, now, to be honest, the babies weren't paying any attention to you at all, Aquila. But we watched him talk about that. And when he started talking about this idea of what spiritual worship is, man, I was just wanting to jump up and scream because he was so dead on. Listen to this. In God's mind, worship doesn't happen in here. Worship happens by the way you live your life out there. And if God looks at a person who's living in total gratitude to him because of the mercy in his life, God notices that you do that outside the walls of this place by the way you live. And that's what real worship is. And I wanna, I wanna say this, if worship doesn't happen out there by the way you live, living your life in gratitude for his mercy. If that's not happening where you work, where you go to school, in your neighborhood, at Walmart, if that's not happening out there, listen carefully, it will never happen in here for you. I don't know that anybody heard me say that. So, so let me make it really clear. Have you ever been to a church service? And don't, don't say this out loud, because I know y'all been there. I have to, you go into a service and you say, man, I got nothing out of that, nothing. That didn't do anything for me at all. Let me be the truth teller for you. The problem was not the music. And the problem was not a boring sermon. And the problem wasn't that the room was too cold or it was too hot. And the problem wasn't that people were unfriendly. The problem was your failure to live a life of gratitude for his mercy before you ever walked in the room. You see where we're going? And so this powerful bite of the elephant comes up. That this is the way we live. Here's how you know, man. This is what it looks like. You're different and real worship, real worship that catches the eyes of God. That's what happens out there. Then Luke shows up last week. He takes another bite. That this is kind of what it looks like if you're living a life of gratitude. And so Luke pops up in here and, and he's got five words or 11 words. We're really not really sure, but he's got a few words. And he brings this idea that we do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. And what he was talking about was what you align yourself with. Do you align yourself with what's popular in the culture? Okay. Is where the world's going, man. Is what all my friends are doing. Is what people are saying on TV. Do you align yourself with the world or do you align yourself with God? And that might, you might remember us talking about the, the temptation to be more possessed 
with being popular than being right. Now, let's just stop there for a second because this is the meal we've been eating. That's what we've been chewing on. That's the steak and that's the, the potatoes and the salad and the, and the vegetables. That's the meal that we've been eating. That's it. And when you look at it and you're honest, because I need you to be completely honest with yourself, just you and God right now. If you're completely honest, you look at the meal here and you say, man, I don't know that we're doing real good with that. I've shared this with you before and I want to share it again because it just kind of fits what I'm trying to, to teach here. And so some of y'all heard this a couple of years ago, I think, when I talked about it. But when, when uh, Susan and I were first married, I mean, only married just, I don't know, a few days, maybe a few weeks or something. And uh, I came home one day for dinner, worked all day and came home for dinner. And I walked in and I married a wonderful cook. And I walked in and uh, I saw we were having meatloaf for dinner, and I hate meatloaf. I've developed a little bit of a, a taste for it through the years, but back, you know, early days, I hated meatloaf. It just never worked out for me, man. It just wasn't my, my thing, but it never came up in our conversation, you know? I don't ever remember us dating, you know, after the movie. You like the movie? Yeah. You like meatloaf? It never came up, okay? We just never talked about it, but I hated meatloaf, and so I came home, and there's, there's meatloaf. And my, my sweet girl's always done something when she makes a meal. She does it today, too. She makes a meal, put it on the table. Everybody sits around. And she waits till everybody grabs a bite before she does. I don't know if you, all, you other ladies or guys cook, if you do that, too. But she wants to know what everybody else thinks. And she'll say, how is it? How is it? How is it? How is it? You know? I don't know if she's scared of it or what, but how, how is it? She wants to know. And so she puts me off down. I take a bite of it. And she says, how is it? Now, give me some slack, okay? I'm a rookie husband then, Okay. I had not learned the art of meshing your words in a way that would maintain peace. I had not learned that, okay? So she said, how is it? So I told her, that's the worst stuff I've ever had in my mouth. That's what I said, okay? So let me put the meal back on here, okay? Can we put the meal back on here? Because this is the meal. Do we have the, okay, there's the meal. Okay, watch this. That is a meatloaf meal. And here's why. Because if you're honest, ain't nobody eating this really well. Ain't nobody eating this really well. And I, I know there's probably some exceptions to this. I, I get that. I know there's probably some people that are knocking it out of the park. But overall, man, I'm just being honest with you. I'm laying my heart on the table for you. The Christian community living our lives as a response of gratitude to his mercy in our life. If this is what that kind of a life looks like, and you look at it, and the reality is, man, I don't know. Different? How come our marriages look like everybody else's marriages? How can we handle our money just like everybody else handles their money? Why do our kids grow up and abandon the practice of their faith just like everyone else's kids? Different in your dreams. Worship. Really? We can't convince some Christian people to make it a priority to be in this room one day a week, much less live the other six days out there in a way that glorifies God. Worship in your dreams. Alignment. There's a whole lot of us that would give a whole lot of more energy and attention in being popular with the crowd than being right with the Lord. 
And so here we've spent about four weeks eating this meal, and we get to this point right here, and we say, okay, let's be honest about it. Let's not play games anymore. And here's the meal. And this is what God's looking for. And God says, this is when I know what's happening. And that ain't happening. And so it begs the question, why? It begs the question, when you and I walk out of here in a little bit, what do I have to do to make that happen in my life? And the answer is the dessert. The answer is the dessert. And that's why it comes at the close of the passage, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you're with me so far and you haven't bugged out somewhere, if you're still with me and you're looking at that and you're saying, Hastings, you're probably right, man. We're not where we need to be. I want you to hear that you have got to eat the dessert. And the reason that doesn't happen is because so many of us are passing on the dessert. And so Paul throws it out there to close it out. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now get technical with me, just for, just for a second, get technical with me. The word transformed refers to an internal change, okay? Something in here that changes inside of us. That's what that word means when it's used in the Bible. And I know who most of us are in this room, okay? We are people who really do love God. We're really grateful for what he did for us through Jesus. I mean, if that wasn't you, you wouldn't be here, okay? Of course you love God. Of course you know what he did for you. Of course you're grateful. But we look at that description that Paul gives and says, man, I just don't know that my life is living that way, at least not as much as it should be. And the answer is because something inside you has to change. And if that hasn't changed inside of you, if that's not went through an alteration then you're never going to do any of that. You can't do it. There has to be an internal transformation, a change inside you. And if you looked at how I described those depictions of how we live our life, okay, in a, in, a, in a statement of gratitude to God, and you're saying, dude, I don't know that. That doesn't happen to me. I don't know why that. It's because the change hasn't happened for you. So what's a change? And Paul says, I want you to be confused about this. The change is the renewal of the mind. Everybody look at me. Every eye right up here. Every eye. The secret is right here. The secret is right between the ears. This is it. This is the dessert. And when it really sinks into you that God has been merciful, even though you're unable to live your life in a manner that would earn that, when you really understand it, that God says, well, you can't be righteous and you can't earn your freedom. Dude, I'm just going to give it to you. When that gets down in you and messes with you, watch this. There is a change that happens right here. If you watched that screen and you assessed that you're probably not where you ought to be there, it's because of this, the space between your ears. 
And if you know somebody who just seems, man, they got that figured out. They're the model of that. And there are those around. You want to know why they are? It's not because they're great people. It's not because they're better than you. It's because a change happened here. Paul called it the renewal of the mind. This is a beautiful, a beautiful thing in the Greek language. When the Greeks talked about the word new, N-E-W, they had two different kinds of words they would use for new. The, the first word they used referred to something that was new in the sense that it had never existed ever before. So if you build a home from scratch, you go out on property and you just build that sucker straight up, that is a new home, it never existed before. That's the first word the Greeks would use for new. They also had a different word for new, and it referred to something that was changed and made better it referred to something that has always existed. It's just now better. So if you took your home and you remodeled it and put a new bathroom in, you feel like, man, I got a new house because I got a new bathroom. That's the second word. So the first word never existed. Second word made better. Renewing the mind. The word new there is the second word. He's not saying we take our brain out and we put a new brain in there. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you take what God has given you and you update it. You make it better. You remodel it. And, and it's fascinating how they did it. The, the Greeks, were their, their language is so beautiful in a written form that they, they would put a prefix in front of this word new. And that's what Paul did. He put this little prefix in it. And what that prefix meant was it intensified the newness. What he was talking about is a renewal of the mind on steroids. It's, it's not a remodeled bathroom. It's we did the kitchen, we did the flooring, we did the lights, we put a new roof on, we put a deck out there. It is a extreme makeover of the mind. So if I look at that and think, okay, that's the dessert. That is the dessert. I, I, I struggled to be able to say, here, here's, here's how we can see it in a sentence. And then I ran across the way the today's English version translates that verse. And I thought, that's it. And I, and I brought it with this. It's this. Look how they translated it. Change the way you think. Until you change the way you think, you will never live a life of gratitude for the mercy of God in your life. You'll never do it. And if you want to be able to say, man, I got the different thing happening. I got the worship thing happening. I got the alignment where it needs to be. The only way any of that can happen is if you start changing the way you think. And so here's what I want to do with you. Just a few minutes and we'll be done. I want to throw three fastballs at you right now about how you can change the way you think. There are going to be things you can remember forever if you can't take a picture of it and put it on your phone. And these are just quick fastballs for you to think about. And they may be for some people in this room. And, and I, I tend to think that they probably are. These might be your next, okay? Here at Eastside is we're, we're in the middle of this vision about living your next, always being aware of what's the next thing God wants from me. There are people in this room, when I show you these fastballs, you're going to look at it and say, dude, that's my next, man. That is my next right there. Because that will teach me how to change the way I think. So let me throw some at you. Here's one. Think of God first. Think of God first. In the first hour of being awake, make sure that you have invited God into your thinking. Now, we're just being practical here. The psalmist wrote, in the morning, O Lord, hear my voice. And sometimes read through the psalms and see how many times the writers of the psalm says, it was in the morning that I met with him. Look at the life of Jesus and find the times where he was at the Lord's throne in the morning often because he'd been up all night doing it. 
And I know some of y'all got it committed, man. You, you got it together, and there's a few of you out there, man. You get up in your house before anybody else, and man, you are spending significant time in the Bible, and you're praying, and you're in it for an hour before anybody sees the light of day. And I think that is great, and I think that's fantastic, but let me say something to you. You are in the vast minority, because most of you ain't never going to do that. But I'm a realist and I believe that you can get God in your mind early in the morning before you start your day. I know that you can do that. And there's some of us in this room that you wouldn't even know how to walk out of your bedroom if you didn't check the weather on your phone. You do that every time, what's the weather like? Some of y'all are not able to leave your house until you scroll through Facebook. You just can't do it, you gotta scroll through Facebook. Or you gotta have your third cup of coffee. We got all these things that we think, man, those gotta happen in the morning. How about you think through this, that I'm gonna make sure every morning that God's in here, that God is put in here. That might be two minutes of prayer in the bathroom when you're getting ready. It might be reading a chapter of the Bible over breakfast. It, I, I'll tell you something that I'm, I'm trying to train myself to do, and it's a new habit, um, so it doesn't come naturally, but I'm training myself to do it. And that is when I wake up in the morning, whether I wake up to an alarm or I just wake up on my own, as soon as I wake up, I'm training myself, don't even get out of bed until I just think about this. I just think about this for a second. God, this is your day. It's not my day. It's your day. It's not my day. It's your day. Use me to be a servant of yours today. And I'm just trying to train myself that. What I do? I let God in my mind before I begin the day. Now, there's some of you that that can be your next, and I want to challenge you to do it. Nutritionists tell us it's a good idea to get something in your stomach as soon as possible when you get up. It just gets things rolling inside. And if that's true with food, man, it's true with God. Get God in your mind as soon as you start the day. Now, let me throw another fastball at you. Think in God frequently. You ever got a notice on your phone, I know some of you have, that tells you how much time you spent on it last week? Anybody ever get one of those, huh? And you cover it up because you don't let nobody see it, huh? How, how would you like to have this where somehow you could find out, here's everything you put in your mind for the last 24 hours, and you got to report on that every day. Uh, this is how much time you look at TV, this how much time you had a face in a book, this is how much time you were on social media, this is how much time you were in conversation with everybody. And, and if you could have that, here's everything that happened in here, I love in here in 24 hours, you'd find out there's some bad stuff. Am I right? Huh? Am I right? Am I the only one? Okay, me and three others and 250 people dealing with lying terribly in the house of God. You'd look at that and there's, there's a lot of stuff in there that should not have been let in there. You know that. Martin Luther said, when you live in the world, you can't always prevent those things getting in your mind. He, he said this, you can't stop the crows from flying over your head. And Rick Warren one time said, but yeah, you can stop them from pooping in your hair though. Huh? Huh? And so if I'm going to think in God frequently, that means that I kind of really got to think about some of the stuff that's in there that's not ought to be in there. But I'm going to make these frequent insertions of God throughout the day. And maybe in the morning, I will invite him in. And maybe sometime through the day when I'm driving in a car, I'm going to listen to Christian music. Maybe when I'm working out, I'm going to do something to where the Word of God gets in me. Maybe I'll memorize a verse at lunch. Maybe I'm going to read a psalm before I go to bed. But it's going to be these, these little insertions of God all the time during the day. Little frequent insertions of God. And why am I doing any of that? Because I'm trying to change the way I think. And if I don't intentionally do that, I will never change what goes on up here and I will never be the person that God has called me to be in Romans 12 verses one through two. I've got to do that and so I'm gonna have these little insertions. Remember how the nutritionist said eat when you get up early? If you know anything about them, I think they're crazy psycho people, but here's what they say. You gotta have little bites of food frequently throughout the day, right? Okay, don't sit down, have a pizza and a half, all right? Little bites of food throughout the day. I think it's the same thing with God. I don't got to sit down and study the Word of God for three and a half hours every day, but maybe I got two minutes here and two minutes there and two minutes there, and I'm constantly feeding my mind with God. Now, let me throw a fastball at you that's really the hard one, and that is to think like God foremost. I'm going to get in your business here for a minute. 
Because the word foremost means rank. It means to outrank something. If something is foremost, it outranks everything else. And so when you think about that a little bit and you start playing with this idea of what do I have to do to think like God foremost, it means that in every occasion of life, when I gotta make a decision, when I gotta form an opinion, when I gotta conduct an action about something, I will think of what God thinks about that. And listen to me, it will eclipse what I think about it. It will eclipse what you think about it. It will eclipse what my wife thinks about it and my children think about it and my neighbors think about it because God is foremost. And so when I'm in a conflict with another person, my mind immediately asks, how would God want me to handle this? And what happens often is that God's desire is different than how I want to handle it. And it's different how the other person that I'm in conflict wants to handle it. But if God is foremost, then I settle on what God has said rather than what they think or what I think. When I am developing my belief system on a hot button issue in our world, okay? So since you don't have to look at me for a month, let me go ahead and say it. Anybody hear words lately like abortion? and racism, and transgender, and recession. Am I listening to things you ate, huh? Okay, so when those things come up, you might have a leaning on those things based on your experience, or your perspective, or even your political leaning. But listen, listen carefully. The renewed mind asks first, what does God say about it? And God's word eclipses anything I think. And so let's, let me say this to the, the church community. If you're a Christian here, just let me say this. If you've got something to say today about abortion or sexuality or racism or politics, if you have anything to say about any of that to a friend or a family member or put it on social media, if you have anything to say at all and it does not involve God, don't say it. Because if I'm going to change my mind and renew it, remember on steroids, then I will think like God in a foremost way. He eclipses it all. So you look at that and you think, okay, somewhere in there is my first. That's the first thing that I need to deal with right now. That is my next that I need to live with. And which of those would make a difference for you to renew your mind? Now, let me tell you a story that rattled me one day. And uh, we'll be done. It's been about eight years ago now. And my siblings and I um, had to place my dad in a memory care facility. And so we brought him from uh, the place that he'd lived his whole life, his hometown, and we brought him here. And about eight years ago, we took him to a memory care facility dealing with uh, dementia. And I know some of y'all done that. And some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but I just want you to know, it is brutal. Brutal. And so the day we took him, we walked in there and he was confused and he was afraid and we're trying to walk him around and we're trying to build it up, you know, trying to take some of the fear away. And I said, Dad, look at that, man. They got this, got this really nice garden and you like to read books. Man, you go out there on a beautiful day and you read books. And, and uh, he was addicted to Pepsi. Dad, look at that, man. They got a Pepsi machine. You got Pepsi all day long. And, and we're doing all these things to try to take away some of that fear and maybe try to ease a little bit of our pain. And so we're walking through the, the area where he's staying, and, and I looked at the end of the hallway, and there was a guy sitting on a chair at the end of the hallway. He was a resident there. 
And when I'm walking with my dad, my siblings, and, you know, we're just a mess. And I look down the hall and I see this guy. And I think, man, I think I know that guy. And so we kept walking and we're getting closer and closer. And the closer I get there, I think, man, I guess I know him. And we got up right near him. And I said, yes, that's Calvin, man. Calvin lives here. And Calvin was a guy in a church that I used to serve at, that I knew him and his wife. Man, we were just buddies. In fact, his wife worked for me, and I knew Calvin. He loved the Lord. He was just, man, he was one of those guys in the church that everybody knew Calvin, man. And I hadn't seen Calvin for about a decade, and I'd heard that he'd started dealing with dementia a little bit. And I didn't know, but where I was going to place my dad, Calvin lived there. And I immediately thought, man, Calvin can befriend my dad, and dad, you're going to have a buddy, you know, immediately. And so I walked up, and I, I went up to Calvin, and I started talking to him, and immediately it became clear to me. He didn't know who he was. He didn't, he didn't know where he was at. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't know his family. And man, it tore my heart out when I found out that he didn't know me. To Calvin, Dave Hastings, and he was just kind of all bent up. And I remember him kind of looking up, and he, he said, it's nice to meet you. And I wanted to kind of prod his memory a little bit. And I said, Calvin, it's Preacher Dave. And he kind of spruced up a little bit in his chair, and his head came up, and his eyes kind of got a little bit brighter. And he looked at me, and he said, you're a preacher of the word of God? I said, yeah. And Calvin said, I love the word of God. And he started quoting verses with missing words in there, but he got a lot of those verses more right than some of you would have. And I bent down to Calvin right in front of him. And I put my arms on his shoulder. And I looked him square in the eye. And I realized that the only thing in there was God. And it was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my life. Father, help us to figure this out. Help us to know how to renew this. I'm so sorry for the times that I'm not different. so sorry for the times that I'm not living a life that you would call worshipful except when I'm in this room. I'm so sorry the times that I align myself to the wrong standards. I have to figure this mind thing out. And I pray that you'll help all of us to do that. In the name of Jesus. The one I want to think about more than anybody.